0: Entering the Freedom Hut.
1: New unemployment numbers are in. 22 million total have lost their jobs so far. When can we start going back to work? I'll have answers for you. Plus, Democrats are still obstructing rescue funds and also obstructing recess appointments for the administration We'll talk about the stress pandemic, which is also very real. Guests include Alex Berenson, who is willing to challenge the consensus on COVID-19, and Congressman Devin Nunes on what's going on with Pfizer reform and the ODNI. That and more coming up.
0: Buck Sexton. Conditions. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One call. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. This is The Buck Sexton Show.
2: Former CIA analyst. Former member
0: of the NYPD. I like
2: I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try
1: doing that sometime. It
3: is Buck Sexton. Now.
1: Welcome to The Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Appreciate you being here with me as always. Um, look, we, we know we are in a fight. No question about it. We know the country is dealing with something it has never seen before. Not in this way. Not, not in a modern A modern era of instant communication of media dominance of the national conversation the way that it's currently going at least Uh, we've never been in this circumstance before so all of our previous wargaming all of our previous efforts to understand how something like this would go I'm not saying they're they're worthless but we have to remind ourselves there is no playbook for this there is simply no playbook and that's why as we see another 5.2 million Americans filing unemployment claims for the week ending April 11th, so that's last week, and that's over the course of four weeks now, a total of 22 million people losing their jobs. Uh, We are heading very rapidly now to 20% unemployment, The real unemployment rate, some are estimating now at about 18%. We will be at 20% in a matter of days. The Great Depression had an unemployment rate of 25% at its peak. So we have voluntarily, and it's still stunning to say this, we have voluntarily put ourselves in a position where one in four working Americans, soon I should say, one in four working Americans will be out of a job because we're going to be at twenty five percent in no time we're going to be at that great depression level that's that's a matter of of a few weeks from where we are right now i know that some of the rescue money has gone out there there's the twelve hundred dollars everyone's focused on there's also an additional six hundred dollars per uh... i believe it's per. is it per week maximum for unemployment claims but there's additional money coming out for unemployment uh... as part of unemployment insurance they have this whole package that's trying to help workers working families make it through this period of time they're already running out of money and we are running in it we are running a test here a test that we don't ever want to have to do is it possible for the government to in essence run out of money because it debases its money uh, this is what could happen very soon with with inflation I know right now the, the, the only thing that when I ask people and I, I'm trying to get as much information about this as possible, talking to the smartest uh, economists, Wall Street folks, people that just understand the macro picture pretty well and, and get paid to get it right, which is different than a lot of the people you see going on TV that work at universities who get everything wrong. You know, people like uh, Paul Krugman, of The New York Times, Nobel Laureate economist guy gets everything wrong. No one ever seems to care. I like to talk to people who have a history of getting things right. And one note on this that I'll tell you that I've gotten is you have to remember that because if America alone was going through this, we I mean economically put aside just for a moment, this is a pure economics discussion. I'm not I'm not focusing on the virus and the the latest efforts to cure and and suppress and all that put that aside for just our purposes for this moment in time. We're just looking at the economy. And If we were doing this, but other countries weren't going through this. Then or then our currency would be in then we'd be in big trouble, uh, because then the market affects the desire for dollars, the willingness to use dollars as the global currency of exchange, uh, that would come into question, I think, rapidly. But because every country, every major economy is going through this, although we don't really understand the extent to which uh, this has really hit China, And I will be talking about the latest information on the Chinese lab Wuhan virus theory later on in the show, too. Who's been telling you for weeks that that's what's we're going to find out that's what happened? I'm just saying you guys come here because the analysis is good, because the because the cooking is exceptional and the analysis is good. So we will we will get to that later on the show. But on this economic issue, because the whole world is going through this, this is. A global depression, it's not just a U.S. depression. So maybe that gives us greater leeway for just taking a blank checkbook approach to dealing with this problem right now. Total weekly claims uh, fell close to one point four million from last week, six point six million unemployment claims. So I, I suppose it's it could have been worse um, but the one-week record, the one-week re- record before this was 695,000 jobs in October of 1982. Well, we, we are seeing numbers. that n- No one can really understand, compute, assess, predict. We, we are just in this world where we're, we're making it up as we go along with the economy right now. We don't know what this is really going to do. I mean, it's obviously incredibly damaging. We know it's bad. That we know. Just like the virus, we know it's bad, but you have to make decisions based upon how bad and you have to make decisions based upon how do you endure and push through and get beyond the problem. Um, We had yesterday a major protest, uh, you know, a, a operation gridlock, they were calling it in in Michigan. You're going to see more of this across the country people who are saying enough enough we have been told the lockdown we said it was initially two weeks and now it's an additional month and now it's sounding in some places like it'll be another additional month we can't go through this endlessly we can't do it and for those of us who fall in the less uh high risk category on this i I need someone to tell me I i need to know and, and this is this is a question that we haven't really been able to get an answer from from the authorities, the experts, whatever you want to call them on this. Those of us who are in lockdown who aren't at high risk by age or medical condition, are we just going to get this eventually anyway? Is that is the plan to just extend this out and, and disperse it over a longer period of time? If I'm going to start going to work normally in July or August or September or October Am I just going to subject myself to getting this and dealing with the immune response? Because I think we should have some some truth about that. We should know that if that's the case. We've been told by Dr. Fauci, oh, the testing will get so great the, the tracing will get so great that we're it's a much, much better weapon against this. OK, well, serology tests will help us. But how how exceptional we really think our testing capacity is going to be for con- containing this disease going forward. Once we do start our return to normalcy, you'd have to test everybody every 15 days or else the old test is, is irrelevant if they've never been exposed to the disease. So how much testing are we really going to do? I, I have a lot of questions about this pathway that we've been put on because remember I, I'm, I'm going based on what they told me. I know when someone I, I'm not pretending to have all the answers here, but I know when someone is lying to me or changing the story and the story here has been changed. It was that we have to have this unprecedented lockdown across the country. All but five states have ordered a shelter in place, whatever they're calling it. It's all effectively the same thing, a shelter in place. Stay home, except for the following very limited circumstances. Here in New York, Governor Cuomo is telling people that you have to, as of Saturday, there's an executive order. You have to wear a mask in public. Now we're mandated to wear masks. Including out in the open air, where the only research that I've seen suggests your rate of, your risk of transmitting or getting this in the open air, if you're not in physical touch with someone, if you're not right next to them, or very, very close to them. You know, if you have the six feet of distance we've been told about, which is not hard out in the open, your risk is, is very small. but now we all have to wear masks, including out in public. And that's kind of a change, isn't it? From a month ago, we were told don't wear masks, healthcare providers need them. So the story switches. We were told it was to keep the healthcare capacity from being overwhelmed. And now it seems the healthcare capacity, even in New York, I mean, New York hospitals, some of them are very, very full, but the overall healthcare capacity is not overwhelmed. And the bigger national level problem right now, and they don't want to talk about this, but this is true. You can see this the bigger national level problem for health capacity is that they're furloughing hundreds and hundreds of employees at hospitals all over the country. I mean, hundreds per hospital, right? They're, they're, they're emptying out hospitals that are empty because you can't do elective procedures and it's all about preparation for COVID-19. Well, what does that mean for other people who need care that's essential? What does that mean for people receiving chemotherapy, people that need interventions for a whole, I mean, more medical conditions than I would ever be able to name. Well, they're told to wait. They're told to wait. And the doctors and nurses that are going to be needed to treat them, they're told, we'll bring you back at some point, but we can't employ you right now. No check. These are the unintended consequences of a policy of panic. And now you can tell me, you you can still make the case to me, I'm, I'm open to hearing it, that lockdown was the only choice, the only choice is what we have, which is, I don't know how it could be more extreme than what we've done. What, what are we going to do? We're going to threaten people if they leave their I you know, physically threaten them. The, the, the state is going to threaten people if they leave their homes. We've already seen people get arrested for activity that in no sane world would be. Not only is it not, a, should it not be illegal, but it doesn't pose any realistic threat of transmitting any virus. They're shutting down parks and playgrounds all over the country. Why? Children, statistically, if you're under the age of 20, statistically, your risk from this disease, from everything that we've seen so far, and I have not seen a study to contradict this, is almost, almost uh, zero, statistically. I mean, it might be, you know, 0.0001% or something if you're under the age of 20. I'm not, if you're over the age of 60, this thing is really scary. We all know that. This thing is really bad news for people who are immunosuppressed and who are over the age of 60. Over the age of 50 is is borderline over the age of 60, it starts to get bad. Over, the, over 80, it's really bad, right? So we, But we understand this. We're, we're supposed to look at the data and make determinations based on that. So why are we shutting down playgrounds? Uh, what, what's, the, what's the thought process behind that? Now we're being told masks in public. We were also told there'd be 2 million people that would die from this if we did nothing, but doing nothing was never really an option, was it? Of course we were going to protect those uh, most at risk. Of course, there was going to be an effort to have more stringent procedures for uh, senior citizen homes and for uh, people that are immunocompromised and just people who are, who are of the age of retirement in this country. There was never going to be a, yeah, just go around and cough and sneeze in people's faces like everything is normal. Nobody was planning on that. But they, they gave us that number. To, that was the number that scared everybody. Oh, up to 2 million, 500,000 to 2 million people. And then they said, even if you do everything we tell you to do, even if we do, you do everything that we want you to do, it'll be 100 to 250,000. You say to yourself, well, hold on a second. Right now we're on path. They, they tell us the same people, same models, not for 250,000, not for 100,000, but for more like 60,000. Now that's a lot of people dying, but that's also within the range of what we as a society deal with year in and year out from flu. So if we keep the death rate in that, in that range, Based on what society for my entire adult life and and long before that, too, has found to be an acceptable risk and acceptable acceptable trade-off for for normal life for the other few hundred million people in the country. That falls within those those parameters, right? Sixty thousand is a bad flu season. Sixty thousand in addition would obviously be the uh, it would be a, a horrific toll from covid-19 but it's not the end of the world, which is what people started to think in the early weeks of this. All right, so since we've looked at that, back to the economic picture for a moment. We are in currently the highest unemployment rate since the Great Depression. So let me just, be, let me just put this in clear terms. We are in right now a depression. It is not a recession. It is a depression. We are in a depression of choice. We have chosen to put the United States of America into an economic depression because of the coronavirus, because of COVID-19 infections. We're we're not able now to undo that decision. We're not able to, but we are able to look at what's going on in the weeks and months ahead and start to shift course away from this this maximum lockdown posture because the costs of this depression they don't come all right at once it's not it's not all right away that you figure out how bad things are with this it's going to take some time but it's beginning to happen there are estimates that say that of the businesses that have to close their doors across the united states not just here in new york look we've gotten it the worst you know we're we're the place that got you know crushed by if you want to think of this as a natural disaster you know the hurricane ripped up a lot of houses here in New York City. It has been terrible here. Okay, it has not been as terrible elsewhere in the country. We know that for a fact. We see all the numbers, including in places like L.A. that are very large urban centers. Nowhere near what we've had here in New York City. But the New York, uh, the New York approach, which was—I think we need to say this—it feels like something like this. You know, our decision was went from "Don't panic, don't panic." And then about three weeks ago, the government all the way up to the White House and everyone else turned around and said, oh, no, panic. It's it is time that we got to panic right now. It's panic time. And that's how you get the whole country shutting down uh, the, the economy and telling everyone to stay at home and no room for discussion about a more targeted, you know, using a scalpel instead of a sledgehammer approach to this. And if you if you even wanted to have that discussion, you were shouted down as as wanting to kill grandma and a horrible person and all the rest of all the rest of that idiocy. Well, now the pendulum is swinging toward the other direction where you're going to have 30 percent of businesses across the country, perhaps not reopen. You're going to have tens of millions of people without jobs. You're going to have the government take on not in a year, in a few months. A couple extra trillion dollars, two, three, who knows, four trillion dollars of debt? Does anyone understand how much stress this is going to put on our system? I think the people in charge are starting to understand.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
3: Well you know I'm a very data driven person and I don't I, I don't like to average things I think you lose the individuals and how things are going at the individual community level I'm very much about focusing on the communities and seeing communities that have been able to really move through this epidemic in a in, with less infections, less less deaths, less hospital emissions, and then the communities that we're seeing that are super hit so hard by this epidemic. And so when you look at that, you can see states where they have good surveillance up and running now where they haven't really seen significant increases in cases. And so this has got to be done in a very laser-focused, data-driven manner. But as the data has come in, I think we're very confident that we can actually see places that could do very well with some decreasing restrictions.
1: There we go, okay? One of the two big experts saying we got to start reopening the economy. Folks, that means there's going to be some risk here. We all understand that, right? But even the epidemiologists recognize we can't keep doing this lockdown. Can't do it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Buck Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: What well, we had before was a miracle, and we think this is going to be even more than a miracle. We're going to do it because we have the greatest people in the world. We'll also be speaking to America's governors tomorrow, and then we'll be announcing Exactly what's happening, you already know, we'll be opening up states, some states much sooner than others. And we think some of the states can actually open up before the deadline of May 1st. And I think that that will be a very exciting time indeed. Governors are looking forward, they're chomping at the bit to get going.
1: I certainly appreciate the president's optimism. The miracle will come back, the miraculous economy will be happening again. And we need to hear that. Remember, optimism, confidence. These are not just fun things to talk about or make us feel a little bit better. They matter to the economy. They matter to the willingness that people have to spend money, to take risk, to open their doors and to start engaging in the kind of activity that is productive and that creates wealth. So the, the president's right in that regard. He's right to say that we should we should hope for that soon. How do we get there? Well, for one, we need to keep people from being in a terrible situation right now. We need to keep people from having to. I mean, you've already seen these, these lines of individuals that are miles long, it seems, from the video that I've, that I've been watching, waiting to get access to a food bank because they just simply don't have enough food. Right. We have individuals who recognize that this is a a bad, a bad time in the economy at the very top. But I don't think because they're they're not experiencing what that's like. They're not experiencing the fear of not being able to pay bills or just have cash on hand. A lot of us think, okay, well, if you don't have cash, use credit cards. People don't have credit cards. A lot of Americans don't even have a checking account. They 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 go and they there's a reason all of these check cashing businesses exist People take their check from work. They go, they cash it. And you know, now is not the time for anyone to start trying to lecture on the need for you know, greater fiscal planning or something, right? We, we just need to get people who were working, who were productive, who were doing, they were doing the right things. People listening to this show right now who are either out of a job or furloughed from a job have zero responsibility for that circumstance, none. The government more or less came along and said you you don't have a job anymore well if the government's going to tell you you don't have a job the government also has a responsibility to say hey here's money to make sure you are fed that you don't get kicked out of your out of your home that you have what you need you know that you are okay while we are dealing with this crisis that's an obligation of the state the state imposed that obligation on itself the moment that it took from you your freedom of operation, your right to go to work, your right to earn a living. Meanwhile, the Democrats, when Nancy Pelosi is not uh, having a giggle with a sweater around her shoulders in her San Francisco super mansion with, you know, an array of artisan ice cream that would make even a Brooklyn hipster say that's a bit much, uh, she she doesn't have any any time it seems to really deal with this. Uh, she still refuses to allow for. I mean the Democrats are holding up the additional funds needed in the Paycheck Protection Program. This is just money for a program they've already approved. There's no discussion. There's no debate. It's this is the program. You said the kids need to buy a pizza on Friday. You left them twenty bucks, but the pizza costs twenty five. Do you want them to have pizza or not? Oh, Nancy Pelosi says, well, if they can't have pizza, let them eat cake. Play, uh, play eight here. As an example, with the paycheck plan, that's going
2: so well. It's so smooth, so beautiful, almost without a hitch. All of that money is being distributed to small businesses. They're giving it to their employees. It's keeping them ready, viable. So when we open and now it's been so good. That it's almost depleted, and we want to replenish it, and we can't get the Democrats to approve it. And that's a program that they and everybody else admit that are great.
1: Can't get the Democrats to approve it. I thought the Democrats were the party of working people and, and trying to help the little guy and gal and, you know, whatever whatever make-believe gender the Democrats are talking about today. Notice how all that's dropped away. Yeah, I'm not not getting a lot of lectures right now about using plural pronouns for singular individuals, right? I, I haven't heard anybody, I haven't seen anybody over at Vox where they're actually about to lay off a whole bunch of people. Amazing, isn't it? These liberal sites have all, they raise all this money and they get all this acclaim from their own side. And it turns out that because they're just parroting what every other lib is saying, they really don't add any value. And so the moment that they don't have that venture capital cash to keep them afloat and things get a little tough, guess what? They got problems, big problems. Even though they raised, they raised something like three hundred million dollars, so that you know people can pretend that Ezra Klein is an intellectual. It's it's bizarre to me, but that's where we are. Um, But you have Nancy Pelosi, who stands athwart this program. Nancy Pelosi. I mean, you know, Democrats are always telling us how much that they how much they feel the pain of the working man and woman, and how much they want. Here's Nancy Pelosi trying to say that she's doing the right thing here. Meanwhile, the Democrats have refused to ad- allow the administration to do additional funding. Here, here's my thought. It's almost like this has become so egregious that you would have to say Democrats are sabotaging the rescue mission. And we're rescuing the American people here, economically. Democrats are actively sabotaging this by delay. I can't think of another explanation. I can't think of another reason. Their other reasons are lies. We're not stupid. We know they're lying to us. But here's what Pelosi says. Play five.
4: Uh, we could go from yesterday. Uh, the Secretary of the Treasury called me. said I need a quarter of a trillion dollars in 48 hours uh, for the PPP. Well, we support the PPP. It was part of uh, our putting together CARES 1. Uh, we were successful The Democrats in the House and Senate and flipping it from a corporate triple down bill to a workers first bubble up bill. And part of it was that paycheck protection program. But we want it to work for everyone. What we were finding out in just even the first hours of it was that the, 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 the uh, initiative, the, it was not working for the, shall we say underbank.
1: Not working huh, Nancy. That's the latest story. She really is a disgrace. I mean, she, she typifies the worst of the limousine liberals, the phony, the, the giant fake, virtue signaling, ultra rich, elite libs who don't give a crap about the little people, but just manipulate and brainwash the masses as much as possible. Into You're in the freedom This save is the them, Buck and Sexton, the only Sexton Show people podcast. people running the state who will save them are people like Nancy Pelosi. Okay, everybody, this is a time when it's very important to be willing to ask the questions, willing to ask the big questions out there about what we're doing, what the response is. Are we making the right choices every day, every time? Are we doing the best for ourselves, for the economy, for suppression of the virus? Alex Berenson is a former New York Times reporter and author of many books. He's been willing to challenge the consensus to at least explain itself. The shutdown consensus, that is. He now joins us. Alex, thanks for making the time.
4: Book, it's a great pleasure.
1: Um, I have some specifics that I've been looking forward to getting to ask you about. I've been following your work very closely online. Let's just start with this. We have the unemployment numbers that just came in for the most recent week. We're at depression level unemployment. We're heading toward the absolute peak in terms of the Great Depression's highest level of unemployment. We're going to be there in a matter of weeks. What What are you, what are you going to say at this point when someone asks you, how are we doing in our fight against the virus from a policy level?
4: Uh, I, we're doing a terrible job right now. We made decisions a month ago uh, on the basis of panic. And I understand that panic. I was actually quite worried, uh, you know, in, in early March, too, um, and certainly I, I was paying attention to this. I, mean, I, I bet you were, you know, from January on. And some of the numbers out of China looked pretty bad. And, uh, you know, and obviously we didn't do much in February when we could have. And and then suddenly, uh, you know, these hospitals in northern Italy got overrun. Uh, and and we panicked. Um, and we we shut the whole country down, essentially, in a matter of, of, of weeks. And people warned a month ago, um, you know, the... Uh, the president of the Federal Reserve of St. Louis warned just how bad things were going to be, but I'm not sure that uh, policymakers either believed him or cared. Um, but but in reality, the economic devastation, the societal devastation, the ed- educational devastation here has been has been off the charts. It's been impossible, really, to measure by any. Uh, by, by any of the metrics we have, it, it's off the charts. And it's not just in the U.S., by the way. It's, it's, it's in Europe. And it's really, I, I, as far as I can tell, I don't know that we've ever had a synchronized worldwide slowdown in economic growth like this. Maybe the Great Depression. I, I guess you'd have to be an ec- economic historian to know. So we've done all this, and we've, and we've pushed harder and harder. And at the same time, there's less and less evidence that this virus is some kind of societal threat. That's not to say that this you know that the coronavirus is not real. That's not to say that the coronavirus can't kill people. That's not to say that it isn't particularly dangerous to elderly people and people in nursing homes. That's quite clear. The evidence is if it gets into a nursing home, it can kill a lot of people pretty quickly. But but the evidence now is overwhelming that this is not very dangerous. Uh, To people under 30, I mean, to them, there's almost no risk. To people under 50 who don't have comorbidities and even into people who are somewhat older who don't have a lot of, you know, other medical problems. And the media is not reporting that. They're not reporting who's really getting sick and dying here. They're not reporting that outside of New York City, hospitals in the United States are emptying out, that hospitals in the United States are losing money because they are so empty right now. They are not reporting the truth about what's going on. And and the hysteria is terrible, and the economic devastation is worse.
1: Now let's look specifically at the the primary claim here um, that that you're hearing from, and I I call it the lockdown consensus. I mean, however one wants to phrase it, but that's what we've been dealing with. The consensus for a few weeks, as much as there can be on these things, has been lockdown, lockdown, lockdown. Okay. Sure. Does it work? given that the alternative and this was the false choice we were offered. It was either lockdown or you want to watch granny die for your 401k. I'm sure you've seen a lot of that. I've seen some of the ugly stuff online. I'm sure you've been subject to it. I know I have uh, sure. anyone who want to raise any questions. The real the real issue would be lockdown versus other measures short of shutting down the economy. What evidence is there that that lockdowns do not work as as they have been advertised?
4: Okay, so 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 this is a, this is a great question, and it takes a little while to unpack. So 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 let me start with what were the lockdowns supposed to do? Okay, the lockdowns initially nobody said the lockdowns are going to prevent everyone from getting infected. Okay, the idea is this is a new virus, and it's going to spread, and some people are going to get sick from it. The idea of the lockdowns was quote unquote flatten the curve. What did that really mean? It meant spread out the impact on the healthcare system. So the idea was what we don't want is what happened in Italy. What we don't want is hospitals that are overrun with, you know, tens of thousands or thousands of elderly people and can't do their jobs. And doctors and nurses and medical staff are heroic, but they're working themselves to death. And we are losing hospitals. Okay, that was uh, that was the the promise of the lockdowns was not everyone's going to live forever and no one's ever going to get coronavirus. It was we're going to stretch this out. Okay. Even on that basis. So let's say that that actually did work as promised. The economic devastation here, now that we know that this virus is not as dangerous as we thought it was a month ago, I think has to be weighed against this idea of of health system disruption. But there's an even more important point, which is we haven't seen any health system disruption. So the lockdowns. So then people will say, "Okay, well, we haven't seen health system disruption because of the lockdowns. But that's not true either. And the proof of that, and this is where I sort of got, you know, started started to get heard from about two to three weeks ago, is that there was this model, which is still around, called the University of Washington model, which charted deaths and hospitalizations on a daily basis in the United States. And it said, this is how many people are gonna be hospitalized for COVID every day. This is how many people are gonna need ICUs. Uh, This is how many people are gonna die. And that was completely wrong in real time. That model was released on March 26th. And within a week to 10 days, it was predicting four times as many hospital beds would be needed as were actually needed. Not in the future, on a day-to-day basis, it was that wrong. And it's really important, Buck, to understand why it was so wrong. It was so wrong because the assumption that the modelers had made was that the lockdowns had come in too late, that there was going to be this huge surge of cases in the, that sort of people take they get sick, they get infected, then they show symptoms a few days later, then they wind up in the hospital a few days after that, then they wind up in an ICU, then maybe they die. OK, and that process doesn't happen overnight. It takes it takes somewhere around three weeks it could be two weeks for one person it could be three weeks for another it could be four weeks for another but ultimately the theory was there's a ton of people who were infected before the lockdowns came into place and they are really going to cause a huge problem it didn't happen and we still don't quite know why it didn't happen but there's no way to look at that data and say it's because the lockdowns helped us that's not what the data says what the data says is that at best the lockdowns were irrelevant
1: All right. Now, given that that's been the the uh, the situation, uh, particularly when you look at it in the context of of New York, we were told that they would need. What was it? I think Cuomo said 30,000 ventilators. I haven't heard and I don't think that's an accident. How many ventilators have they actually needed?
4: So so the projection was at at the worst time. And again, this was in late March as the As the cases were doubling and doubling. People people, you know, people sort of went crazy with their projections. The projections were we're going to need 140,000 hospital beds in New York State, and we're going to need 40,000, 30,000 40,000 ventilators. Those projections were off by a factor of 10, okay, almost 10. New York State, beds peaked around 18,000. They're going down now. Ventilators peaked around 4,000. New York, New York, not, you know, not Nebraska or Arizona or somewhere else. New York is giving ventilators to other states right now because it doesn't need the ones it has. This has already peaked. It has It has already peaked nationally, and it has already peaked in New York, and the data is completely clear on that. And that's why what you're hearing now from the public health people who've been so, so wrong is not, hey, give us two more weeks and you'll see. What, you, what they're talking about is a second wave. Okay, the nice thing from their point of view about predicting a second wave is that could be any time. It could be in six months. It could be in three months. It could be in two years. As long as there's no vaccine, there's always a theoretical possibility of a second right. And,
1: and if we're going to fight against that, we, we would have to continue the lockdown well beyond what anyone says we'd ever do. Uh, Alex, I, I want to continue. I got a few specifics that I want to drill down into with you. We just need to hit a quick station break here. We're going to come back in a moment, guys. We're talking to Alex Berenson, who is asking the big questions about our pandemic response. Follow him on Twitter at Alex Berenson. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcast. All right, we're talking to former New York Times reporter and author uh, Alex Berenson. How many books, Alex? Uh,
4: I've written 12 novels, 12 spy novels, uh, which I'd be interested to know if you ever read, if you like them or not, but and two nonfiction.
1: Well, I'll have you back on. We'll do a whole podcast talking about spy stuff another time. But for now, we're, for now, we're trying to prevent the country from destroying itself over this <laughs> virus. So there are a few, a few ways that I, I want to take our discussion now and... You know, one of them is just, the, you know, you've gotten all of his attention nationwide. I saw, I saw you on Tucker's uh, show on Fox and I've seen you on on Twitter and you're just digging into the data. And now that makes you uh, a, a, like an enemy of the state for some people. I mean, that's the, the most evil thing anyone could do is look at what the government was telling us a week ago. I mean, I've been pointing out that the public health experts that we're supposed to worship, like whatever whatever St. Burks and St. Fauci say <laughs> is is a you know, it's like ex cathedra for the from the pope. And in reality, they've been wrong over. over again with this whole thing i mean they've been wrong from the beginning they've been wrong in key ways cuomo is now saying we got to wear masks if we're in public in new york let's start with that let's start with that is there any actual data to show that there is a substantial enough risk of spread in open air in the public that we should be shutting down parks playgrounds and telling people now you have to wear a mask if you're out in the open air
4: so so no the the quick answer to that question is no Um, the there, there's actually a paper that someone just sent to me, and one of the privileges I've had in the last few weeks is that because you know, people sort of figured out that I'm trying to get data, they send me stuff to read, and you know if it makes sense to me, I'll put it online for others to read and comment on. There's a paper that came out of China uh, last week that got no attention, where a bunch of Chinese researchers looked at clusters of infections outside of, um, outside of Wuhan, the, the rest of China, and they tracked um, 300 clusters of infections. Uh, meaning more than three people were infected. Um, and they found not one of those took place outside. Of the 7,000 cases that they were able to track, two infections occurred outside. Infections in this occur primarily in two ways. They occur in the home, and they occur in hospital settings. And they also may occur in subways and, you know, and, and sort of planes and public transportation that you're stuck in for a while. They don't occur outside. And to me this is one of the absolute insane things about this by the way almost no infections occurred at retail or offices either um, but none occurred outside
1: yeah I mean in New York where we've been hit that out you're in New York too right so you're dealing with this and I don't know your wife is a frontline health care worker uh, you know
4: she's a physician who treats COVID patients yeah okay so that can tell you this and you know uh, we have we have children okay we take no precautions at home about this because we know what the risks are to our children. And it's not we're not being cavalier about it, we just know what the risks really are. And to me, the number one thing that we're doing to children here is we are locking them up, we are frightening them, in some cases, we are sticking them in homes with abusive parents, and they can't go out, and they can't be seen by teachers. And we're doing this even though they are at zero risk from this, effectively zero risk.
1: Yeah, and I, I want to ask you it, also... It makes
4: me so angry.
1: I want to ask you about the, the broader, you know, because we've seen this, if we're looking at the two, the two sides of the scale, it has all been on suppress the virus, and whatever we have to do to the economy, like, that doesn't have effect on lives, and health, and longevity, and a whole bunch of yeah. other things. And I, I want to get to that with you, but I, I do also, uh, there are, there are two non consensus ideas slash models out there. And I'm asking this is there's some theorizing so far. I've really been saying, what does the data show us? Which is what you've been doing. Okay, fine. But on on two other areas, I want to ask the first is The Sweden approach, which was what I had thought from the beginning would be more sensible than what we've done. Right. Sweden has not locked down all public all public uh, spaces, has not said all businesses are shut down. You know, no bar service, but you can still go to a restaurant, just sit at tables and what do we know about how Sweden? because i feel like there's a pressure on sweden now that this becomes political instead of science driven that oh gosh every country in the world that's done a shutdown is going to be and their press as well is going to say well sweden is doing terrible a terrible job here well how is it going in sweden
4: so it's going it's going reasonably well in sweden it's they're in much better shape than the uk or spain or france or italy um they appear to have a somewhat higher fatality rate than the other Nordic countries. It's not quite clear why that might be. Um, they also have a large immigrant population, uh, and apparently um, a lot of the excess mortality is in that population, although I haven't looked at the data well enough to, to know exactly how much. Um, but. But the Swedes, I mean, if you compare them to, let's say, Italy or Spain or France, the countries that really lock down the hardest, they're doing much better. If you compare them to Finland or, or Norway, they're doing a little bit worse. But I think there's something else that's been forgotten here, which is that Germany, which is the largest and most important country in Europe, is moving away from its lockdown. It's not happening yet, but, but within a week, I believe they're going to start to reopen some businesses and on May 4th, they've said they're going to reopen schools.
1: And, and so isn't that, Spain also beginning to look at that, too, with the schools? They
4: are, be, they are beginning to. And Japan, you know, Japan is interesting. So Japan, not only did Japan not lock down, they haven't done a lot of testing. They, the public health people would say they've done everything wrong. And Japan, you know, has very close connections right now economically and in terms of tourism with, with China. And Japan has an elderly population and has a lot of smoking. You would think that Japan would be devastated. By this virus, and in fact, it hasn't happened that way at all. And people keep saying, "Well, two more weeks, two more weeks, it's going to happen in Japan." Well, it's been three months in Japan. If this were going to have happened there, it would have happened. Why
1: do you think Japan hasn't been hit as hard?
4: Well, that's a really good question. I think, I think that you know there is a culture of wearing masks, and you know I didn't answer the question before when you asked about masks. There's some evidence that masks protect. Uh, or they slow the um they slow the spread of transmission. maybe both by slowing you know the 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 viral particles that are coming out of you, and they also prevent you from touching your face. so so maybe it's masks, maybe it's social distancing. you know it's a culture where they're bowing instead of shaking hands. Um, nobody really knows though, that's the short answer.
1: And uh, have you seen enough this theory maybe, This this might be even too far out there for you, but I I wanted to ask because it has been reported in a a lot of different, by a lot of different news organizations that the Israeli, and I'm trying to remember his exact title, but it was essentially like the Israeli head of their equivalent, I believe, of of NASA. Yes, that's right. uh, um, Has come out and said, if you look at what has happened, this virus, whether you lock down or don't, has a six to eight week cycle that it rips through what do you say? I mean, is that, is that crazy town? Is that worth a second look? Or what, where, do you, where do you fall with I mean, that he, he's
4: idea? Saying, he's saying that's what the data shows. I, I don't know that that means anything because, you know, people would say, well, it would have been much worse in Italy and Spain, but they did lock down. Okay, well, how does that explain Sweden? Here's, here's the problem. Here's the problem, Buck. We are all dealing from incomplete information. And the most important piece of information of all would be how many people have already been infected and recovered okay because if that number in the United States is 1 million we have a huge problem right because this has caused a huge amount of you know loss of life and it's only infected one million people if that number is a hundred million then all of a sudden this is the flu okay all of a sudden this is something that seasonally is going to affect a lot of people infect a lot of people and and you know and kill a few okay and we and we tolerate that every year with the flu we need that number whatever it is whether it's a bad number or a good number a higher number is a better number and for whatever reason the public health establishment for all the work they're doing has not prioritized getting antibody tests out and i don't know why
1: yeah, I, I would want to get out and get one right away. I'm somebody who had a very weird illness, and I know everyone is kind of turned into a hypochondriac by this, yeah. but I, I had a bizarre cough for days and days that kept me up late in the night, a shallow cough right around J- the first week of January. And, you know, that's a little early for what we saw here, but let me ask you about that. Do you do you think that this was here before i, I had a, a an esteemed doctor of of uh infectious disease in new york and a, a t- affiliated with a major hospital here tell me that he would bet a large sum of money that it was here before at least weeks if not a month or two before officially it was recognized what does the data tell us and what do you think
4: oh there, there, there's no question it was it was in the united states in in early to mid january we know that because we know it was in seattle and there's no reason to believe Seattle is an outlier. Seattle has air connections with China, but so does New York City, so does Los Angeles, so does San Francisco. Um, and we know the virus was spreading aggressively in Wuhan in December. And the, you know, the, there's this crucial question of what the R is, the replication rate, the transmissibility of the virus. So if one person infects two other people, you get to big numbers, but if one person infects three other people on average, you get to giant numbers. And, we, and, you know, to this, to this point, I think we're still debating that. I think, you know, that people have moved up their estimates of the R from, you know, maybe the two range to closer to the three range. But, but because, the, because the cycle is relatively fast and the way, you know, exponential growth works, we need to know precisely. That's something else we don't know precisely. And we don't know, by the way, whether they are in a place like New York where people are getting, you know, on underground train cars for an hour a day or more is different than Houston, where people are sitting in their cars all
1: day. Well, Los Angeles, the Los Angeles to New York comparison. Yeah, I mean, I'm a New Yorker born and raised and I've spent a lot of time in LA too. And if you think about the way this is supposed to spread, it's not a surprise at all that Los Angeles has far lower incidence of this uh, than than what we're seeing. And so uh, I wanna ask also about test and trace because this is, I hear Fauci talking about this all the time and I mean, maybe it's because I, I come from an intel and, you know, and and law enforcement background, but the you really they really think they're going to be able to trace every contact that a human has with this as they... I mean, to me, this is just on its face. It's, I mean, and by the way, if I'm missing something, please do tell me. This seems like a, a ridiculous solution, but it's also one of those things that we're, we talk about as though if we just wait until the testing capacity gets to this level, then we'll know as soon as the disease pops up and we'll know everybody that it touches and we'll be able to lock it down. That's fantasy land stuff as far as i can see but am am i missing something and i know you're dealing with this stuff all day
4: i mean mean, so 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 it's you know i haven't looked too hard at the test and trace stuff because i'm so busy with other stuff but i would say i would come at it from a different point of view look and this is this is an issue that you know i've raised a couple of times recently the lockdown orders i mean if they're constitutional they are barely constitutional okay based on what we now know about the dangerousness of this and you know so far people have not really challenged them in court yet um, but but I would think that that's going to start to happen, but but when you come to test and trace, you're talking about a whole different you know can of worms. I mean, are we gonna are we seriously going to expect people to put apps on their phones? Are we going to expect them, you know, to that, that HIPAA somehow doesn't apply to this? You know, listen, if I if I get you know some. Some other virus. The government—it's not, you know, it's not the government's job necessarily to to know it and to you know follow up with all my contacts. Although I know that can't happen with HIV, so there is some precedent for this. But but this is a—I mean, this is a much more aggressive form of um, you know sort of governmental reaching into people's lives than than I think people have realized. And and it's surprising to me that that issue has not come up Um, but we really do seem to have thrown out or forgotten our constitutional rights in any meaningful way here and and, and by the way that's not an issue just for the right I mean this is supposed to be something the left cares about this is something that the ACLU is supposed to care about where are they on this
1: where should we go from here given what we know given what you've seen with the data up to this point what what would be sensible next moves in your opinion
4: so so I would say, first of all, we should reopen the schools as quickly as possible, and you know the children. Again, it is it is unfair what we are doing to children here, and it is and it is wrong, and and we and we should immediately drop the stuff about you can't go outside, you can't play outside. Listen, if people, if 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 governments want to make people wear a mask in stores, I think it's sort of silly based on what we know about transmission, but it's not the worst idea in the world. But the outdoor stuff is terrible. And there's very, very little evidence that, it's, that it does any good. So that that should go. And the schools we should reopen as quickly as possible. And if there are teachers out there, you know, if there's a seven-year-old teacher who's got comorbidities and he, you know, she's scared, let's find some accommodation there. But but you know, most teachers are relatively young and healthy. Let's let's get our kids back in school. It's important for them. Second, let's actually acknowledge that the hospitals are not being overrun right now anywhere outside new york city and even in new york city the problem is now becoming under control okay so that means let's very quickly in a matter of days have some prospectively defined measures for hospital utilization and uh you know and new admissions of of covid cases and when they're below a reasonable number doesn't have to be you know it shouldn't be like the hospitals have to be two-thirds empty it should be. If the hospitals are running reasonably, we're gonna open stores. First, we're gonna open offices, okay? And then very quickly in a matter of days, we'll get to open stores and then we can open hospitality. And the last thing probably should be these, you know, big group events because obviously there's some risk of super spreading at, you know, at an arena rock concert or something like that. So that can be last. So, okay, so those are good things. On the flip side, what do we need to do? We need to protect the people who are really at risk here. That means people over 70, people in nursing homes, people in hospitals, let's make sure that nobody's visiting them who, who doesn't have a fever check or ideally has either a negative COVID test or even better antibodies so we know that they've already recovered from this. Let's make sure that, uh, you know, that we try to get nursing home staff checked every day. Let's make sure that if somebody dies overnight from a flu-like illness, uh, you know, we in a nursing home, we test everybody right away. Let's focus on the vulnerable instead of destroying our society and pretending that everyone is at the same risk.
1: Alex, really appreciate the work you've done on this and your, your willingness just to ask questions and look at the data at a time when the, 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 the panic is the panic is part of the pandemic. There's no question about that there's in my no mind. Um, I mean, there,
4: You know, there, there, there's. Uh, there's a line, you know, that movie Contagion, that Steven Soderbergh movie from 2011, it was advertised with the line, nothing spreads like fear. And it turns out that he was right, that that's true. And, and you know, I truly believe right now, and look, maybe I'm wrong, but I truly believe that we're going to look back on this in a year or five years as one of the worst public policy mistakes in the history of the United States. And... I mean, uh, you know, I just don't know what else to say about that. It's 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 incredibly upsetting to see what's going on and to see what the data really says.
1: Well, we are gonna have to have you back as this continues to roll out, because it's going to be at least weeks, if not months of us still dealing with this, certainly here in New York City. And uh, yeah. everyone should follow. If you're on Twitter, you want to follow Alex Berenson and see what he's putting out every day. And also you can find his books on Amazon. Alex, thanks so much for your time, my friend. We do appreciate it. Thanks. Buck. Stay safe.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
3: So we just had snow. I've got snow on the ground here in Michigan right now in Lansing. We're expecting you know, up to 30 inches in the Upper Peninsula. The fact that we're cracking down on people traveling between homes or planting or um, landscaping or golfing really for a couple more weeks isn't going to meaningfully impact people's ability to do it because the snow will do that in and of itself.
1: Oh, yeah, it's snowing. The governor of the governor of Michigan is telling you it's snowing. Uh, what does that have to do with anything? Uh, no one knows. But Gretchen Whitmer, who has been talked about as a possible VP candidate for Biden, of course, a lot of people now we are hearing so much about uh, Stacey Abrams and how uh, Elizabeth Warren. And there's all these people that are out there that maybe will be maybe, maybe, maybe will be uh, Biden's VP nominee or VP Uh, Whitmer, though, is is one of the people who's gotten, I think, the some of the most deserved criticism over the petty authoritarianism at the state level from a governor for shutting down things that no one you can't go from one home that you own. So if I own two homes, which first I got to own one, but let's just say I own two homes in the in Michigan and I wanted to drive from, say, my house to a cabin that I own. That technically is illegal. How can that make any sense at all? I'm going in a car from one residence I own to another residence. And how, how could that be? How is that in any way justifiable? I mean, this is the problem. You know, we, we assume that those and I shouldn't say we, but people assume that those in power and those in charge will make reasonable, common sense decisions. But history and even very recent history shows us that is not the case. People in power do dumb stuff all the time, which is why our government's all about limiting power. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sex, and Show podcast.
0: Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your
1: podcasts. All right, team, we're very pleased to be joined by Congressman Devin Nunes of California. Congressman, thanks for being here.
5: Hey, Buck, great to be with you. Thanks for having
1: me. All right, so, the, you know, the Attorney General... Earlier uh, I guess it was last week said in an interview without any basis they started this investigation of Trump's campaign and even more concerning is what happened after the campaign a whole pattern of events while he was president to sabotage his presidency or at least have the effect of sabotaging the presidency w- what do we say at this point congressman if someone asks you the question do we know whether crossfire hurricane the investigation of the Trump campaign with Russia collusion and all the rest of that. Uh, Was it a correctly predicated investigation? Can we answer the question yet?
5: Well, uh, this is uh, an opportune time, Buck. You're the first uh, interview that I've done since we now have uh, newly minted classified information that just came out in the last uh, hour since you've uh, been on the air. Uh, And so now we finally have most of the Horowitz report uh, has now been declassified. There was a little bit that was declassified on Friday night. Uh, a whole bunch more just in the last hours. So people are beginning to uh, get a, a picture for what uh, I've been so upset about and why we'll probably be, you know, well, not probably, we will be making additional criminal referrals. So, uh, you know, look, I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to argue with the attorney general what's, what's worse, the opening of an investigation using our nation's finest assets, uh, you know, which you were a part of back in the day, uh, to turn the intelligence agencies against a political party, uh, things that you only see foreign governments do. And in fact, they're foreign governments that we often scold for using intelligence services to target a political party. So that's really, really bad. Uh, then you take on top of it that, you, that, that now what is known is that Christopher Steele, we've known this for a while, Christopher Steele was likely penetrated by Russian intelligence. Uh, The FBI knew about it. DOJ knew about it. Uh, They knew that we were running an investigation through 2017 uh, and 18. We came out with a report in 18. Guess what? They never told us about this information on steel. Meanwhile, they put that information into the late 2016 Obama-ordered intelligence community assessment that, voila, after Trump won the election, they had an assessment that said the Russians were trying to help Trump. Now, they put in that report in an annex, the, the steel dossier that was paid for by the Clinton campaign. And they never told us uh, that, you know, they just failed, even though they had this information. They didn't tell anybody that steel had likely been compromised by the Russian intelligence services. So, look, there's a there's a lot that happened in this uh, that's really, really bad. And then, of course, uh, you know, the day that Mueller walks. In the door, and I'll kind of finish up with this buck and let you ask your next question because there's a whole lot we could go through here. But Mueller walks in the door as special counsel in May of 2017, and he says, "Hey, where are the Russians at, uh, sir? We don't have any Russians." Uh, okay, let's set an obstruction of justice trap, and that's all they were doing. They they knew there was never any Russians. They knew they made all this up. They knew that Steele wasn't trustworthy. They, they knew the Clinton campaign had paid for it. They hit it all. And, you know, thanks to uh, the work of of House Republicans and Senator Grassley in the Senate and some some real patriots uh, that work in the United States Congress, uh, the American people now know that. And hopefully these dirty cops will be locked up for a really long time.
1: Do you I mean, do you have a a real belief that there might be. I got to tell you, I've become somewhat cynical through this process of looking at all these revelations. I mean, you're effectively telling the audience, in case anyone missed this, that there was Russian disinformation was included in the Steele dossier. And then that Russian disinformation was used by people at the FBI. And then Mueller comes along after the FBI had used this stuff against Trump and knew that there was no Russia collusion, but decided to just... Use the process as the punishment, right? Then this is a long-standing federal bureau- bureaucratic tool. I'm quite familiar with it, and and so now we know we know all of that. But people want to know, Congressman, if there's going to be justice. There's the Durham probe uh, that's still ongoing. The U.S. Attorney from Connecticut is supposed to be a real lawman's lawman. If he finds the kind of behavior, I mean, if he can prove the kind of behavior that that you're alluding to and we're talking about here right now, will there be charges? <laughs>
5: Well, well, I sure hope so. And I always tell people, uh, there's only one person on this earth more than me that wants to see these dirty cops put away, and that's the President of the United States. So, you know, no one's been through uh, dealing with the dirty, you know, dirty media rats, you know, who work for the essentially work for the Democratic Party uh, more than me. You know, they've attacked me, they've attacked my family, they've maligned me. Uh, I'm involved in now multiple. Uh, federal lawsuits against these uh, dirty rats, uh, you know, they have to be held accountable, and I need the courts to step in and hold them accountable for the slander that they've done against me. So believe me, nobody wants these bastards locked up more than me, okay? And, you know, you,
1: you, you so, mentioned this, Congressman, and, and I remember in the early days, uh, and, you know, I remember being in your office interviewing you probably about a year and a half ago about this very issue down in D.C., but I remember even before that, when you were first willing to present this information to, to present the real the truth, I mean, the real narrative of what was going on with this whole Russia collusion mess. And not just, of course, the usual suspects in the media, but the uh, you know, members of the Democratic Party were saying things about you that not only were, were they were you know, wrong to say them in the first place just because of, of what they were saying. Have any of them come out now since it's clear that you were right and they were wrong? even be, And I won't ask for any names, but, but behind closed doors they said, you know what, Congressman Nunes, we're sorry.
5: Uh, No, and in fact, the the defamation has just continued uh, by by the Democrats.
1: I mean, does anyone hold Adam Schiff accountable for anything? I mean, do other members of Congress realize that this guy is running around like a loose cannon making a mockery of the Oversight Committee? I mean, does anyone ever talk about that inside the halls (laughs) of Congress?
5: Well, the Republicans do, but remember, the media is on their side. Ninety percent of the media is on their side. Remember, the House Intelligence Committee uh, was seldom covered by the press. Okay. Matter of fact, the the people that did cover the House Intelligence Committee uh, were were usually off the hill because they had other jobs, things that they covered. Because, you know, we were simply a committee, uh, as you are well aware, uh, that's you know typically very bipartisan. Um, We work with true American patriots, Uh, you know, we travel across the globe meeting with our allies and, you know, try to build relationships with sometimes our friends, sometimes not our friends, but with intelligence services so that we can, you know, exchange information, exchange ideas, try to work on counterterrorism, try to work on counterproliferation, all of the goals that you would think we would, you know, that we should work on. And the Intelligence Committee both House and Senate should not be one that's politicized. But because the Obama administration and the Clinton campaign and the dirty cops all decided to politicize it, it put us all out there in the open. And I guess now what it is is that, you know, they're just hoping, uh, you know, they're, they're a socialist party now, and they just hope that if they tell a lie enough and long enough, eventually it will come true. Everybody will believe it. That's what they're trying to do. They're, they're in the process of a cover-up, and that's I'm- why we need – Uh, you know, people to be prosecuted
1: for. I want to ask you, uh, and I I won't take too much of your time, but I I want to ask you about uh, reform in the intelligence community, especially with FISA and the ODNI office. But before we get to that, just one more on this crossfire hurricane, Russia collusion issue that you've been at the forefront of trying to hold up the truth to the American people for for years now. Um, What do you want to find out next? What do you still need to know now that we've this newly declassified information from the IG report? What's the next stuff that you want to find answers to?
5: (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. Uh, so, look, we're, we, we have a number of things that we're investigating right now. Um, I am glad, you know, relieved that all of this information came out. Um, if you read through the Horowitz report uh, specifically, you know, we are beginning to look at, you know, we are looking at trying to track down um, some additional uh, things that we believe are leaks. Uh, we believe that. Uh, we were Congress was misled. Uh, and so those are the criminal referrals and the investigations that we're working on now. And I don't want to get too specific uh, on your show, Buck, but good try.
1: good try. But there's more coming. OK, you can say there's more coming. There's more. We can, we'll accept that for now. And just, you know, I know I know the acting DNI uh, Rick Grinnell is is thinking about and this has come out in the press a little bit, trying to do some some needed reform within the Intelligence community. I mean, I'm somebody who thinks, you know, NCTC, the DNI, you know, the National Counterterrorism Center, for those listening, which came out after 9-11, the Director of National Intelligence, which is supposed to be a coordinating agency. These have become very large, very bloated organisms within the federal government. Uh, the acting DNI is thinking about trying to do needed reform. Where do you stand on reform within the IC on those issues? And and if you have any thoughts on FISA reform, too, please share.
5: Yeah, so, so look, we... We really have to have reform over a DNI, uh, and it's become a it's become just a a, a rat hole uh, for people who were helping in the cover up. And so, you know, and this is this is a, a good example of that. The DNI is the leading authority on, on declassification. Uh, you know, we we sat there for years not being able to get things declassified. You know, so it was you know, and the DNI would never go to bat for Congress. They would always side with the FBI. So the DNI is supposed to be kind of an independent arm. It's not. So, you know, my personal opinion is that the DNI should be shrunk down, way down. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of jobs that are just being uh, – they are duplicative uh, that, could, that could be done by the CIA or other agencies. Um, there, I think there is a role for the DNI to play, but it should be more strategic in, in that sense, and it should be a, a strategic planning operation Versus, uh, you know, actually, you know, trying to gather intelligence—it's become very, very duplicative. And I think, you know, there's just way too many people there. It's become bloated. And, and, and look, at the at the end of the day, you there's only 200 countries across the globe. Okay, a little little shy of that. It it doesn't take thousands and thousands and thousands of people living in the nation's swamp and the nation's capital. Uh, and that, you know, it's referred to as a swamp. Uh, we don't need all of those people there. You know, what we need is we need we need people, and I'm not against, you know, analysts and, and folks being in Washington, D.C. We do need some, but we have way too many. Where we're short is we need people out in the field gathering intelligence, working with our allies, working with our adversaries, doing what spies are supposed to do, and that is to go around the globe and gather intelligence so policymakers, uh, both, you know, the House, Senate, and the White House, and, the, and our military, make good decisions. And so, you know, we need to get focused. And I know the CIA is trying to, uh, you know, they've been very out front about wanting to get more people out in the field. And I think we have the same issue that, uh, you know, the DNI needs to get, you know, they don't need analysts. They should be a strategic planning arm. And I think Rick Grinnell, you know, for just being in there as a temporary uh, placeholder, is doing one hell of a job right now. We, should, The nation should be thankful for the work that he's doing.
1: Congressman Nunes of California, sir, always great to talk to you. Thanks for making the time for us, and please stay in the fight. Thanks a lot, Buck. Thanks for having me.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
3: There is a little bit of a pattern, you know, the temper tantrum at the governor's, then backing off and being nice. Total authority, then backing off. Now trying to adjourn this And I mean, every day it, it appears to be, some might say, an attempt to just make news so people watch these useless briefings. And these poor scientists and doctors have to sit there. In the cold, listening to the president as he abuses his power repeatedly, time and time again, for two hours well, a day.
1: You know what's useless? Morning Joe. That show is useless. It really, as I've said, it's, it's the the dumb, mean, but somehow still considered cool kids in high school who never do their homework and have nothing to offer, but they gather together and people who are also insecure seek their approval. That's morning Joe as as a media entity. It's just idiocy every day. And it's disappointing that there are still people that think that that's a worthwhile exercise a worthwhile exercise of their right to consume media. I think it's bizarre. Uh, And frankly, I I can't imagine spending time hearing Mika, whatever, uh, Brzezinski. Of course, we all know her last name, a famous last name, that's why she got the jobs. what? Why? Makes no sense to me. And you know, I got to I'm even gonna say it. I, this guy Willie Geist. I don't know him. He always seems like a fair-minded guy. He always comes across as a, as a more. He comes across as a more reasonable guy operating in the unreasonable world of of the uh, big media. So I'm a little disappointed when he's saying when he's saying he's also part of the Morning Joe panel world and all that. But I'm disappointed when he says stuff like this. Play through.
4: And the thing we know about Donald Trump is that he likes to be praised. So
1: one way he could earn praise, as you said earlier, is to get up there and get something done instead of attacking reporters and going after the WHO and going after the press and going after governors. What if he stood up there? It's two months late. But what if he stood up there and said today I'm announcing a new national program to get testing done. The quicker we test, the quicker you get back to work. I'm at the command of this ship and we're going to get testing out into the country. That would be something substantive worth us and worth the country listening to every day instead of what we get, which is invented councils from CEOs who didn't know they were on the council learned from the from the Rose Garden a couple of days ago. What if he stood up there and announced something substantive that actually addressed the problem in front of us? I feel like he does that every day. It's almost like we're not watching the same press conference. Yeah, he slaps around the press, but that's because the press comes at him with nonsense all the time. That's because the press uses this as an opportunity for fame-seeking among their own constituencies, which they just open themselves up to a president who's not going to stand for that crap. He's just not going to do it. He's not going to do it. And so what, what is that really supposed to accomplish? We all know that it's so that they get that viral moment on CNN or MSNBC or ABC News or one of these places and it's not helping us. It's not helping you and me understand more information. I mean, look at the, the conversation that I had today with Alex Barron. Said You don't have to agree with what Alex's positions are. There's a lot of questions. He admits there's a lot of things he doesn't know. He's, he's, you know, he's not a doctor, but they're making decisions that affect every single one of us. So and not this, you're not a doctor. You don't get an opinion, uh, opinion thing. That's not how this republic works. Mm-mm. That's, that's not how this game is going to be played, folks. It's not on my watch. Not without me, not without me having a problem with it. But Alex is trying to give people worthwhile information. He's trying to approach this from a point of intellectual honesty. The rest of the media, they're just, they're just cheerleaders for whatever they think their audience wants to hear. It's disgusting. It's dumb. It's wrong. But that's what we get. Anyway, I, expect, I actually expect more from Willie Geist. Because he says, you know, why is he going after the WHO? Because the WHO failed massively, massively in this whole process. So they can fail... At the one, you know, they had one job and they can fail and there's no accountability for it. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't I don't think that that's acceptable. And Trump getting things done. We he got we got so many masks and so many ventilators now showing up because that's what they told. They said, oh, my gosh, we don't have masks and ventilators. The stockpile's depleted. We heard all that stuff. Right. So Trump's like, all right, Defense Production Act, you know, mount up. The cavalry's coming. Here we go. Oh, actually, we don't need it. We don't need all those ventilators. You know, we've got a serious problem here. Hospitals are really stretched in a few places, but overall, they were wrong with the projections they had for how much gear and how, many, how much equipment was going to be needed on the, on the ventilator side, for sure. So Trump did get something done. It's not his fault that they were asking for things that then they didn't need. Thanks for listening to the Buck
0: Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: OK, everybody, we have had a lot of lot of fascinating voices on the program today. Congressman Devin Nunes, Alex Berenson questioning the lockdown consensus. And now our friend Tiana Lowe joins us. She is a commentary writer at the Washington Examiner. She is like the rest of us on lockdown in the D.C. area, stuck in the swamp. Tiana, how you doing down there?
3: I'm surviving. I'm alive. There are worse ways to be quarantined. Uh, I think we're all just hoping that this is over soon.
1: We're hoping, but we in New York just got told that it's looking at, as of now, mid-May at a minimum. So uh, it's going to be a while. I am i don't think we're going to see a, a change in New York until my. my guess, which has been my guess and producer Mark can verify from the beginning, First, second week of June, you'll start to see people begin to return to offices and things. That's my guess. But we'll see. We'll see if I end up being right on that one. All right. So we we have some very some very big news last night that didn't seem like such big news to me, Tina, because I had tweeted a couple of days ago. Just wait. We're going to be told. I think I said this month that the virus did come out of a lab. Like everything was starting to look a little more and more. And at the very beginning, this was. Uh, somewhat, it, it added up. It was common sense based. You can't say the evidence necessarily pointed to it. it Senator Cotton of uh, Arkansas, he said this, and he was slammed by the media. Do you Have you seen any retractions about that?
3: Oh, absolutely none. I mean, as recently as a week ago, they were calling this a conspiracy theory. Now, everyone was mischaracterizing what Tom Cotton was saying. He was not saying, that the virus was specifically invented from scratch in the lab. But what we do know, thanks to the Washington Post, is that the State Department was warned that China was not only very riskly studying novel coronaviruses, they were trying to engineer them. And this was, what, a few miles away from the Wuhan seafood wet market that this allegedly came out of. But we already know that patient zero had no connection to the wet market and we also know the wet market didn't sell bats. Yeah. There were a lot of reasons to be asking questions. Again, no one's saying anything with certainty, but the fact that people were able to call this a conspiracy theory with such certainty just goes to show why there's such a little faith and trust in the media today.
1: Yes, and and those those wet markets, I, I think there's a perception that they exist in just a couple of places. There are wet markets all over China. Friends of mine who are based there or have been based there will tell you that it's it's not a tough thing to find and so this being the one time, you know, everyone's been making these comments about some guy eats bat soup. No, there's been, there been bats being eaten there for a very long time in, in large numbers. And for this virus to just pop up and happen to be so close to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which if you wrote if you wrote this as the script for a, uh, a spy novel or something, I think people would say, oh, it's it's all just too convenient. But that seems to be where we're heading. I know Brett Baer, Fox News, had a report on it last night. But the media response to China has been fascinating. CNN had a report that came straight from the People's Liberation Army website, pretty much, on how China is doing a better job protecting their military from COVID-19 than we are. What, what do you attribute this desire to run with Chinese propaganda and, and talking points at the expense of not just the truth, but, I mean, at the expense of a, a sense of patriotism and and, uh, and decency for one's fellow Americans right now. Seems a bit strange to me.
3: I mean, the sign of sycophancy is just disgusting. You know, it's possible to think that Trump handled the spread of the coronavirus less well than he should have. You can even hate how he's done it. That does not compare to a murderous dictatorship that sticks down di- citizens in concentration camps letting a virus spread across the world. We know that while... China was banning travel from Wuhan within the province or within China, they were allowing travelers to leave Wuhan to go to the rest of the world. They could have stopped this. They chose not to. They sat on information for six days, allowing this to go global. And Trump is the number one villain here. Again, it is more than fine to criticize what after the China travel ban. There is a lot of evidence that his CDC and yes, it is his CDC because he runs the executive branch really sat on testing and they monopolized testing. And that's why we had such a testing crisis. We know the administration didn't didn't get enough N95 masks. A lot of mistakes were made in hindsight. That's not the same thing as willfully allowing a global pandemic to ravage the world and shut down the global economy.
1: Yeah, and I, I have to wonder what this does for the future of U.S., China relations, Trump is always somewhat warm in his uh, descriptions of of his interactions with uh, Xi Jinping, the Chinese premier. But I think America has woken up to the problems posed for the world. You know, we we, you can care about China or not as an American, but Chinese U.S. foreign policy, as we all see now, cares about you. There's no way to avoid the economic ties here, good and bad, the virus tie that we're seeing. You know, it has been known for years now that the strains of influenza, for example, obviously separate from COVID-19 that we're worried about, they come from China. So we, we did have, yeah. the world has had advance warning here, and that's why a lot of us look back at this and say, how come this wasn't dealt with right away?
3: I mean, let's think about it, Buck. This is the third airborne infectious pandemic that China has flung across the world in as many decades, and we still don't realize that maybe liberalizing and opening China was a mistake. You know, the Democratic Party is at a real precipice here. For as much that, you know, Trump will say annoyingly flattering things about Xi Jinping, I think that the bulk of the Republican Party is, is a China hawk party. Democrats can be and should be, too. We already know that Joe Biden, you know, he, he was a vocal proponent of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was designed to ice China out of a lot of American trade. We know that he rightfully slammed Bernie Sanders during their last debate about Bernie lauding China for pulling people out of poverty by loosening their communist restrictions. and But it just doesn't seem like the rest of the Democratic Party wants to name and blame and punish China, which is horrifying. You have Chris Murphy going on CNN saying, the only reason we're in this position is because orange man bad, not because Xi Jinping evil. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton, they're all bending the knee to the World Health Organization.
1: And did you see the uh, New York Times? We've been discussing this a bit on the show, but it feels to me like they keep and this is this is a a bit of a change of of pace here, but it feels to me like they keep digging the hole even deeper. Uh, Speaking of media coverage of things and and how we're losing respect for a lot of the biggest institutions in the country and the media day by day, uh, the, the treatment of the Joe Biden sexual assault allegation that's out there, it took them two weeks Uh, I've had you on the show before to talk about different Me Too related issues. Right. And the media's coverage of them took them two weeks to even write a story on it. They had to pull a line that was effectively other than hugging, kissing and other unwanted touching. No problem with the way Joe Biden interacts with women, uh, which everybody just that was a real wow moment. And now you've had some of the same people who were saying that the mere allegation, the mere allegation against Brett Kavanaugh was enough to require him stepping down because the country deserved better than the suspicion of misconduct from a Supreme Court justice. How can that not apply to a possible future president from the people that are saying that that's the standard? I don't agree with the standard, by the way, but that's what they say.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, Dean Beckett, he was asked by Ben Smith, what, what, why were they sitting on this? You know, you could theoretically have done two separate news reports, one saying the allegation was made and another going into the details of it. Um, And the New York Times' defense was that it was not a live story in the news. I think that the gray lady, the paper of record, is responsible for setting the news. Um, And the treatment that Joe Biden is getting just shows why the Kavanaugh standard was absurd. I am seeing this sort of dangerous, reflexive, Instinct on the right for people to now try and act as though we should hold Biden to the Kavanaugh standard No, we should use this to go back into the past and explain why it was such a farce So today there was a lot of renewed talk about Oh, but Joe Biden didn't actually have a pattern of sexual assault But Brett Kavanaugh, Christine Blasey Ford's allegation was more credible Because there was a pattern of misconduct towards women The Julie Swetnick thing pushed by convicted felon Michael Avenatti Yeah the Deborah Ramirez corroboration, the corroboration that all of these reporters were talking about, when that book by the New York Times Writers First actually did come out, we found out there was one person who was able to name Kavanaugh as the perpetrator during this alleged incident at the time, who was told by someone who reportedly saw it. We have no idea who that person is. Every single person that Deborah Ramirez names as being in the room where it happened has denied it, has said that it is impossible this thing happened. Oh, so we have a story that was on its face a joke, and another one that has zero cooperation, and we're gonna say that's a pattern? I am just so ready for the Kavanaugh standard to be done. I've lost enough years of my life.
1: Now, I, know, so, I know you're you're being good with quarantine stuff, staying home, social distancing and all of that, but as somebody who is a gray-beard millennial, I just have to say that we've been, my my people, the millennials, have been catching a lot of heat for in the early days of this going out and spring break and everything. In reality, this is Generation Z. So are you getting the word out to your Generation Z cohorts that they need to behave themselves while we're all on lockdown?
3: Oh, absolutely. I don't understand the TikTok generation. I feel so old sometimes when I see them. But yeah, I mean, I that's why I was so glad that Dr. Fauci was trying to go on part of my take. He was trying to go on podcasts, radio shows, everywhere just to be seen, just to remind like how important those first days were do
1: you have a cat or a dog by the way do you got anything like that that's uh you know in the mix here because i've got my parents dog i gotta say it's like a fantastic quarantine buddy
3: i don't i thought about it i'm like what if i got a cat because i w- i've always entertained that idea but i'm like being a single white female journalist with a cat like sounds just like a little bit too on the nose so get
1: a dog i'm gonna
3: wait until it's no
1: get a yeah, dog I know.
3: You can't live in a tiny apartment in a city and get a dog and it's ethical. Once I lived with a girl in New York who had a dog in our five foot walk up with our closet size rooms and I would sometimes hear the dog cry and I was so tempted to call the cops and just be like, we need to do something about this You just have have to get one of
1: those dog baby Bjorns, you know, that like you hold it. That's, (laughs) that's the way to, that's. I mean, I, I actually, I've made seared scallops for the family dog recently because she will reject food if she does not like it. So I have to go into chef mode for her sometimes. But oh, it does, wow. yeah, it does keep one busy, I've got to say. Well, Tia, uh, Tiana, keep, keep up on all the stories at The Examiner. Let us know what's coming on your radar. Come back and tell us how you're doing in, in a quarantine soon. And uh, check out her latest, everyone, at The Washington Examiner. Also follow her on Twitter. Tiana, thanks so much.
3: Thank you. Bye.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
3: You know, I think right now just the stakes are too high when it comes to another four years of Trump. My community especially has been so impacted. um, And it's, you know, for a lot of communities, this is an issue of life and death. We've had kids in cages. We've had a pandemic response that happened way too late uh, that has cost us lives. We have people that um, don't have access to critical care that they need. I think it's really important that we rally behind um, our Democratic nominee in November.
1: Yeah, because Joe Biden would have done such a better job with all those things, right? Just remember, my friends, the choice is not Trump. Not that you need me to tell you this, but I think it's important for us to frame the discussion this way, to put it in the necessary context. The choice is not Trump or some genius superhero you know former you know war hero amazing superstar of awesomeness it's the buffoon who doesn't know where he is known as joe biden that is what the that is what the offering is i mean i, I got to tell you I, I would be considerably more more concerned about trump's chances if they at least put someone forward who was compelling even to their own side, Joe Biden's not compelling for anybody. Joe Biden is the is the least exciting political candidate for office uh, since probably Dukakis. I mean, maybe, I mean, John Kerry's not exactly, you know, sending a thrill up anybody's leg either. Right. But it's been a long time since you've had somebody who is as completely lacking in. Well, what are the new ideas that, that Joe Biden represents? Does anyone want to try that one? I mean, that is like a trivia question. Do You have any idea what it might be? But remember, progressivism also is the answer here. Government failed at all levels to protect us from this. That's just that's a fact. Now, you could say that no government would be and no government has been able to adequately protect its people from this. But the government failed and failed in very specific ways in this country. And as we know now, because it has been adjudicated in the the public over whether Trump can reopen things, Trump didn't have the authority to shut down the whole country. That, That was never in his that was never in his power, in his purview. So now the claim is going to be that Trump shut it down too late when we know that they've told us he can't reopen it too early. It's not something he's able to do. They can't have it both ways. But really, the people that I mean, this is an area where I, a public figure I'm sorry, a person in public office, not a public figure a person in public office is going to be particularly reliant upon what the, quote, experts tell them. Right. We, we, we expect if you're going to be the president of the United States, that you have a good, obviously a very strong grasp of politics and you have a very strong grasp of the military and economy, or at least we like to think you have a strong grasp on those things, right? We, we understand that. We don't really expect you to have a medical background or expertise in uh, pandemic disease. That's where you're going to have to rely on advisors and experts. And that's when I say that their government has failed. The people whose only job only really important job in existence was to stop something like this from happening. Those people failed catastrophically and dramatically to foresee what this was, to have us prepared for what it was, and then I believe to make the proper decisions at many levels, even when we saw just what we were facing. if, If there's a more panicked response than lockdown the whole country, i would like to know what that is what could be a what could be a a bigger panic than let's shut down everything everyone stay in their homes everyone effectively hide everyone hide from the virus that's what we've been told to do that's not the same thing as saying everybody take precautions when you're out you know wear gloves cover your mouth wear a mask keep people who are particularly susceptible who are older safe and away from away from this till we have a better handle on it. That's not the, no, No, they said everybody stay home. Can't you know, your business is shut down, can't do anything about this. And that's supposed to be brilliant, strategic advice. That's that's the smartest. That's the best thing they could come up with. I mean, let's be honest, anybody could come up with that. You know, oh, we're we're facing a really bad situation, no one leave your house. There's a really bad disease out there. Everyone stay home the experts that Trump was relying on to have something better in mind. And let's be honest, the medical, the medical researchers, the medical community that had a head start on upper respiratory infections like this for years and years. We saw SARS, we saw MERS, we had H1N1 pandemic. These things keep happening. And we've just been, we've been caught flat-footed. We, we were not ready for this. And now I think instead of just adapting to it In real time, as we go, we have seen uh, a reaction that came late, based on what the real threat of the virus was, and then a reaction that overcompensated for that lateness. And this was all driven by the people who were supposed to have expertise in these matters. It wasn't Trump wanted to reopen the economy uh, a week ago, or at least start reopening it, but he got shut down. Remember, oh, it's got to be all through April. Can't do that. Can't change. Democrats are going to be offering up Joe Biden as the answer to all the country's problems, and they're also going to be leveraging this moment of crisis in every way that they possibly can to try and push progressive agenda items. They know they would never, ever be able to advance the football downfield in normal times the same way. So we got to remember that. There's a lot of moving pieces here. There's all of this focus on the pandemic and the virus, sure, but there are a lot of things that are going on under that under that political umbrella right now that you got to keep an eye on because the left is going to exploit this every chance, every chance they see. Thanks for listening to the Buck and Show
0: podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: It is roll call time. Folks, I, I hope you appreciated and enjoyed our guest today on the show. Uh, we just happened to have a whole bunch of folks that wanted to come on, on the same day. Uh, but I always want to make sure we, we're really going to try to have a guest or two max most days. So I don't think that the new normal will be having quite as many as he did. But, you know, when Congressman Nunes, when his staff says he wants to come on and Berenson's super busy these days because the left is just going after him. Oh, my gosh. If you challenge the consensus on the the lockdown, the people, the way they come after you, it is vicious. It is crazy. Uh, so you know, there's a there's a lot going on, a lot of a lot of moving pieces with all this stuff. But we're we're trying to expand the show to as many platforms as possible also and expand our listenership. And that really the, the best way that happens is by you currently in lockdown or quarantine. I know a lot of you are still front line, either medical personnel or front line uh, essential workers. So thank you, by the way, for what you're doing every day. But those of you that are stuck at home, better time. Uh, there's never been a better time than now to. Share The Buck Saxton Show with someone you love, someone you care about, a friend of yours, that guy named Bob that always takes the last of the coffee creamer and doesn't replace it. I mean, whoever it may be, please tell them to listen to The Buck Saxton Show. We want to see those, uh, those numbers continue to go, month month to month continue to go up. It really is uh, nothing, nothing makes producer, producer Mark even smiles sometimes. I've seen smiles on his face when we get big numbers on the podcast for a month. Like once a month, maybe maximum. once a month, once a month, maybe so that's if you guys want to see it, we, we maybe we'll even get if we get, you know, a in the next let's say the next three months, if we get a 25 percent rise in podcast month to month, producer Mark will take a selfie of him smiling and we'll post it on social media. So you'll sure. see I'll take producer Mark smile. You can do that. Just wait till we, you see what happens if we get to fifty percent. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's well, <whoa>, hey, <laughs> that, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a special special treat for the whole audience. I don't even know what's gonna be though. It's gonna be amazing. I don't either. Yeah, we'll figure no. it out. Uh, how how is producer Mark doing in quarantine? By the way, you good? Everything all right? You and yeah. the missus? Everything's in good. There?
6: probably after the show we're gonna go grocery shopping, so we're gonna venture out. You know, we're a little low on supplies, but you uh, and mask and gloves. Uh, I go mask at least, maybe gloves. I realized that when you put the gloves on, you just touch everything else and make everything else dirty. So what's the difference?
1: I've been wondering about this. I do feel like, and, and other, people have been picking up on this. So let's say I wear my gloves and I, and I go out with them on. I touch a lot of things that could have virus on it. Then I come home, but I have to touch my door handle to open it with the gloves, right? Or am I supposed to use my bare hand for that? Like, when do I take the gloves off? But the gloves are certain, the gloved hands are touching my wallet, my keys, my phone. Yeah, like, last time
6: I only used them in the grocery store, I put a credit card in my pocket, like in my jacket pocket, and touched it with that, then disinfected the credit card, and then took the gloves off as soon as they left the grocery store. Huh. I guess I'm a little different because I drive to the grocery store compared to you, who would obviously just walk there.
1: Yeah. I got one of those like nat- I, I go to I've got two grocery stores, a normal grocery store and then like a natural food store. So if I want to get some weird tea or essential oils or anything, I can go to that one, too. So
6: okay, I'm glad you're stocked up on weird tea and essential
1: oils. Yeah, I've been drinking a lot of weird tea. Let me tell you, you know, whatever you got to do to pass the time these days. I do have also a lot, a lot of gluten-free mac and cheese in the fridge, so I, I, I will tell you, I did 100 push-ups yesterday, so I'm, wow. as of now, one day into my 30-day 100 push-up challenge, and after this show, I'm going to do another 100 push-ups.
6: You are in better shape than I am.
1: Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I did them, you know, gracefully. Did you do them <laughs> consecutively? Uh, no, no, All right. no. I do 30-30-20-20. I do, uh, okay. I was about to say, if you did hundred in a row, then you're in pretty good shape. Oh no, no, yeah, that'd be amazing. Are you kidding me? I wouldn't be doing this. I'd be walking. Around. I'd be, uh, I'd be, you know, underwear model for Calvin Klein, not sitting around like a radio host talking about being job of the buck. But I'm getting there. I'm getting. I'm getting back into it. The funny thing is that whenever I roll the mat out to Lula, uh, and I've posted this on on social media for those who want to see, she does her own little yoga class where she like stretches and she twirls around. She loves the mat on the ground. And whenever I take it out for my use. She runs over and thinks the mat is for her. And then we get into this, like, man versus dog. Who really gets supremacy here? And ultimately, she ends up winning because, like, she won't stop until I stop. And she is more persistent than me.
6: Yeah, you're going to end up having to just do the push-ups on the hardwood floor because That's the dog what I wants up the happening. mat. Yeah,
1: That's what I ended up happening yesterday, yeah, because yeah. the dog wants the mat every time. And I'm like, she give me napping on the couch. I pull the yoga mat out, and little Tulu flies over and just starts rolling around on the mat having a great time with it. So.
6: All right. Well, I bought a yoga mat. Luckily, I don't have a dog to compete with.
1: Oh, there you go. Not yet. Not, until not yet. Mrs. Mm. Not until Mrs. Mark decides that there's a an hypoallergenic uh, multi-poo that you guys have to get. We're
6: not allergic to dogs. We're just too cheap for dogs right now.
1: Uh, It'll be a really
6: long walk to have to walk the dog every time because the, from our elevator to our apartment, it's a long walk.
1: You got you to gotta get a lot of walks in with the dog. That is exactly. for sure. Yeah. So. All right, Facebook.com slash buck sexton if you want to send us roll call thoughts. Uh, if you want to email teambucketiheartmedia. dot com on uh, Instagram, just buck sexton. You can send me messages there. Uh, we'll I'll I'll start pulling some Instagram messages that we can also put into the roll call here. We haven't done that yet. Michael Buck, for engineers, we can't take the exam to get licensed unless we have some schooling. But nothing is a bigger waste of money than a liberal arts degree. The main thing my graduate school research advisor teaches us is that we do not need them. We can learn anything we want ourselves. Shields high, Uh, you know, the liberal arts degree used to be Michael really a used as a sorting mechanism by employers. So they wanted to see that degree because far fewer people had them. And now many more people have four year degrees than used to. And also they've watered down the education of a liberal arts degree. So I just think that it's not that that dynamic is changing now. And there are a lot of ways what you really want to show, especially for entry level jobs, for an entry level you know, position anywhere, what you really want to show is that you are responsible and respectful and reliable. And you know, if you do those things, responsible, respectful, reliable, that's like for, for an entry level job, that's like 90 percent of it. I mean, that's really all yeah if you can show someone that and so that's why there's a lot of different ways obviously employers love former military service for that reason but also just you know showing a new job that you've had any kind of job where you showed up on time did what you were supposed to do and could be trusted with those tasks that having a having a job shows you could have another job is kind of what i'm trying to say and there's really no better way to prove that than to have than to do it and at the earliest stage of getting a job um, but you know at the earliest stage of getting a job you have that need to just convince an employer that you'll do the things that I said responsible reliable and what was the third R that was pretty good actually I just came up with that on the spot responsible reliable and oh respectful yeah that's the other thing I had to work on the last one a little bit but you know nobody's perfect All right, Amy I just don't like being ordered. I just don't like being told what to do. That's all that is. I'm, I'm not somebody who likes being ordered around. Never have That's why he's so I'm, salty to me. Yeah, and that's right. Producer Producer Mark gives me commands, and I know I have to obey them, but I like to give him some guff. You know, I like to yeah. give him a little you guff. You never
6: just do it. You have to put on the whole yeah. song. Even when house. he's right. Yeah.
1: And I'll admit that he's right, but I'm, ah. Yeah. Yeah. But you'll he's, grumble but about it. Do you want to have a radio show? I'm like, meh, I make a noise like that. Yeah. And then I do it because he's right. Amy. Hey, I've heard a commercial on iHeartRadio that sounds like you narrate it. It's the one touting what businesses are doing to help and contribute during quarantine. Nice job. Thank you, Amy. That is, in fact, me. We are talking about businesses doing good out there on iHeart, and they've asked me to do a whole bunch of different, uh, we call them spots, uh, commercials. So those are out there. Yeah, and uh, you'll hear my voice, and it's a little different than the Freedom Hut buck doing his radio show just because i'm gonna be like, like hey everybody welcome to the world of doing good for other people you know i could do that but that'd be a little weird so yeah brad dear buck i live in wasilla alaska very nice that's where sarah pillin is from and was the mayor there i believe and commute into anchorage every day i'm one of the lucky ones that still has a job and i'm very thankful for that alaska has not been spared from the virus and it has reached even remote cities up here as of wednesday we have had 285 cases with nine fatalities wearing of masks i'd say is about 50 50 but most people do try to adhere to social distancing i can't even imagine what you must be going through at ground zero stay safe and healthy and keep up the great work well brad thank you very much for the kind words you know in new york it's amazing when you adapt to psychologically in time and here we, I just accept that when you go out when I'm doing the things that I have to do for day to day life, yeah, there's, there's a risk, there's a possibility of this vi- you know, a viral spread. And I you know I could get it. Anyone I know could get it. That's, that's still going outside. Um, you just, you know, you can't, one thing we do know is you, you can't live your life in fear. A life lived in fear is really no life at all. So you've just got to do the best you can. And move forward, do what you got to do. That's uh, a tautology, but you got to do what you got to do.
0: You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast.
1: More call. Dan writes in with, hey, Buck, how does King Cuomo think he can enforce all people to wear masks in public, especially upstate? I, for one, have a natural dispos- uh, predisposition to buck his executive orders. Shields high. Yeah, Dan, I mean, he- here's the way it's going to work in practice, because they're not going to arrest anybody for this. They said they might fine people for it. They're trying to encourage, and they're, they're using this, this quasi-state authority, you know, where they're not really going to fine you. They're not going to arrest you, at least for this. But they do want you to do it. What it does, though, is it sends a signal to private businesses, because I'm seeing a lot of this where now there are signs up, there's a liquor store near me where there's a sign up that says, you know, you will be denied service unless you have a mask and gloves. So that is now becoming standard. You must come in with a mask on and gloves if you want to be served. I think that this is going to be, even if we don't really understand the full range here of the epidemiological evidence one way uh, or the other, but I I really am going to be, I really think that this is going to be Uh, And I think wearing a mask and gloves does have good effect. I'm not going to say that, but how effective and in what in what instances and what cases that still they're still figuring that out. Um, You're going to have people going into offices with masks and gloves. Certainly in New York, that's going to become a that's going to become the standard. So, you know, if you're working in an accounting firm of 50 people, you're going to show up. They're going to try to keep people spread out in different parts of the office and they're going to have a mask and gloves on. What I meant by the epidemiological research, I mean, I would want to know, Okay, even with masks and gloves on, if you have somebody in there who's sick and they're still shedding virus, is it really all getting caught in the mask or is it somehow getting into the general air indoors? And if people are still consolidated indoors, does the mask protect them? I I don't know. I don't have answers to this. I'm not sure anybody really has answers, but it's better than better than having some guy go, (coughs) you know, coughing all over the place and doing the whole thing. That's not good. So. What, that's what we're heading for, though. I, so Cuomo, I don't think will really be enforcing this. I just think that uh, uh, I just think that what we're going to see is private businesses saying, "Sorry, this is now the guidance that we have." So everybody's got to wear a mask and gloves when they come in. Which you know, it's fine until all of a sudden you got to go out for something you really need, and now you don't have a mask and gloves. And I think people are going to realize that that's uh, that's going to get pretty annoying. Ted. Hey, Buck, I am seriously concerned. I'm originally from the Detroit area, and they had a protest. For most of the feeds on Facebook, I've seen the comments saying incredibly derogatory comments. The fact is they want everyone to stay home without consequences. The fact that everyone will eventually have to have this virus and get through this is evident. The fact that the ones making minimum wage, stock hands, clerk registers, etc. are the glue of our nation is incredible, and nobody is paying attention to the inevitable collapse. These people are making little money to feed thousands. The economy will not open up anytime soon because nobody's going to spend money they don't have because unemployment is already at a record high. Buyers' confidence is non-existent. Truly hope I'm wrong, but thinking it is only getting started and people are going to suffer. People are believing that safer is better, but they are wrong. Ted, you're not the only one who's seriously concerned, man. I think the whole country's concerned. Just a question of, about what specific uh, aspect of this and what's going to happen. People will not just, they will not just stay home. They're not going to do it. I don't know how long we have with this, but there will be massive, there will be major pushback against this, and we should factor that into our calculations going forward. And, you know, I also am so thankful, I just want to say this, I'm so thankful to have this show, and don't tell producer Mark, but I'm so thankful for him too, for keeping this thing going during this time, uh, this show is really right now my, my greatest connection to sanity, being able to talk to all of you every day and, and feel this sense of purpose to bring you information. So um, I, I really do thank all of you for listening, and, and I mean that. And you can all thank producer Mark Formy. Don't tell him. I don't want him to get a big head. But we've kept this thing going under a lot of duress. There was Especially in the early days, There were shutting down studios left and right. We weren't sure if we'd have all the gear that we needed and everything else to get this thing. We have not... And I'm very proud of our team. Uh, we have not missed a day because of this pandemic. We have stayed on air every single day that we have we have wanted to, that we have needed to. So and, and that's been important, I think, for our for our morale and our esprit de corps. You know, we have purpose every day to bring you the best information we can and to continue this conversation about what the country's going through. Derek Buck, I live in North Carolina, listened for a handful of years now. You mentioned Governor Cooper here in North Carolina on the show today. Some of his recent comments are very concerning as he seems prepared to order a prolonged shutdown here through May or June, despite the relatively light impact thus far. North Carolinians need to go vote en masse in November to remove him. In general, as this has progressed, we seem in much of the nation have overreacted to this new virus. I hope this serves as a cautionary tale for all of us right now in the future on panic and fear and government overreach. Stay safe and healthy in New York City. Shields high. Yeah, I mean, North Carolina has not been hit as hard as a lot of other places. So I think it's surprising that that's where they had people or someone get arrested, not people, one person get arrested for a protest. Um, and yeah, I, I'm I do think there's a, at a state level, there's been a lot of overreach. Uh, John Bucarino. you and producer Mark are a great team like Abbott and Costello. Just wanted to hear your take on how the economy is going to recover. With many massive industries like sports, entertainment, travel that won't be coming back, nearly the numbers needed to support them for a while, which will have ripple effects, and all under industries that service them, what is going to be our new normal with the inevitable massive and long-term unemployment? Need some hope. Shields high. Uh, John, the hope is that we will get through it. The short term is, is going to be tough because a lot of those, a lot of those uh, large group activities that – are necessary for a whole bunch of other industries as well to flourish. You mentioned arena sports and you know, movie theaters. and You think about all this, you know, restaurants, large restaurants in particular. Uh, they're not coming back for months at a minimum. And th- when people realize that the reopening of the economy means a partial reopening, I'm worried that a lot of investors and a lot of uh, there'll be a lot of financial ramifications we can just begin to see now. But we will get through, my friends. We will endure. Shields high.